So this year is going to be Leilu Nishmat Yitzchak Ben Alexander. Um, thank you everyone for coming today. I have deputizing for Ohad. Um, and it really is a pleasure to to have Rabbi Yitzchak Berdugo, who needs no introduction of the Chabura, one of our very own. And it's all, you know, one of our favorite rabbis. He, he always comes and always inspires us. Uh, we always leave well-informed and with his deep analysis. And today we're going to be looking into um, you know, physical combat versus Talmud Torah. It's, it's, sometimes it seems to be mutually exclusive. Um, and there seems to be this confrontation. And today we're going to look at that. Um, and I don't want to take any more time. Rabbi Bechavod, all yours. I'm just going to pin you, and we're ready to go. Alrighty, thank you for the intro, and yes, Ailu uh, Nishmat for Uzitzak Ben Alexander, and uh, should be a zechut for him and for all Amisel right now, especially those who are fighting in this war. So. Anybody who lives under the sun knows that this topic is very diverse, very, I would say, controversial. It causes a lot of protests year after year. And it's something that one side of the team holds that it's one of the pillars of Judaism. It's a fundamental uh, aspect of Am Yisrael to have an army to serve in the army and doing one of the biggest mitzvot. You know, for example, you know, usually for a mitzvah, we don't put ourselves in, in danger, but this is a mitzvah that you actually put yourself in danger for this mitzvah. And on the other side of the spectrum, you have the, as they say, the Haredi community, um, which again, we're, there's, we're going to say labels sometimes here, but there, there's no real labels because there's so many different individuals and different shitot. But as it's known is as the Haredi community, they hold that, no, the, we don't need an army technically. And if we would just sit in the Torah all day, then we would have proper shmirah, we would have proper protection. And uh, the army is really relevant in, in mitziut, in, in actuality. You know, so much so that if you ask of some of the biggest gedolim, especially in the Litvish world, which also trickled down to the Sephardic world as well, you know, they actually held that uh, we're better than those who go to the army for we are the ones that give them the koach. And in reality, we don't even need this army. And we're so technically we're doing a better job than them. So... You know, this is a high level. This what we're about to talk about now is just a high level of seeing the different views and where some rabbanim use this as a proof for their uh, shita. We're going to see how you can use it for the opposite as well. Um, I mean, I'll tell you up front my own nitia, my own, uh, you know, where I kind of go is uh, I believe that the army is... Uh, it's a tremendous and important factor of Am Yisrael. Uh, it's something that we have as a chut, a tremendous merit to have right now in our times. Um, I myself, you know, starting off in in the more Haredi world, as a, as a, in that world, thinking that you know uh, it's not such an important thing. Um, but then, as time evolved, and I guess 
maybe listening to more Habura Shiurim and, and, and getting more into reality, you know, you see how it's extremely fundamental and it's, uh, you know, Baruch Hashem, we have an army and especially these people that are really mamash Moser Nefesh, not uh, Moser Nefesh only spiritually, but Moser Nefesh physically. And we see every day, you know, our brothers dying and, and, and sacrificing their lives for this. You know, we really have to have a tremendous akaratatov to them and and really, you know, honor them. And, and, and we can at least learn that, you know, what they are doing in our minds, it should be the most honorable thing as well. So just to get off, the, you know, from the start, that's uh, how I feel. Um, and so therefore, I will have this nigia, this nitia towards that approach as we're going to be going through the different mikorot. Uh, and a fundamental reason behind the different approaches, I would kind of summarize it, is is how you take certain agadic literature. Do you take it you know, as a food for thought and, you know, you use it and you can learn from it and uh, not to learn halakha to it? Or is it actually like a halakhic literature as well? Is even, and, you know, we with the, the book from the Habura of uh, Understanding Hazal, we see a certain approach and Baruch Hashem, many Rabbanim are giving shurim on this topic about, you know, the way how old Sfarad, and of course it's not only limited Sfaradim, but uh, many, many great Rabbanim, especially traditionally the Geonim as well, they took Agadah not in a literal form. And uh, somehow in the past couple hundred years, these Agadic statements have become actually, we're going to see that certain great Rabbanim, they're using this as you see from this, you know, ambiguous Gemara that we take this literal and therefore, you know, people are exempt from the army or service. And and we're not going to get, maybe we'll talk about it a little bit, but, you know, there's always so many different questions regarding should you serve in the army. If you have an army that's run by a real lefty, let's say, and he wants to give up most of the land of Israel, like uh, like they did in Gush Katif, or even more than that, in the Oslo, or whatever. Okay, is there a mitzvah to serve in that time? Or let's say, you know, the kashut is not good enough in the army, or there's, you know, you have to listen to women singing, so do you serve in that? That's, those are more technical um, minute details that we won't really get involved with. Maybe at the end, I brought one teshuva from Rav Avner on that. But uh, we're just getting in the, the crux of, you know, do you need military service as well besides Talmud Torah? And of course, up front, you know, we are all B'nai Torah. Torah, Talmud Torah is fundamental. You know, that's our life. That is what... Uh, you know that is the, na- the the what makes up the nation of Am Yisrael is the Torah. So everybody agrees, of course. You know that Torah is fundamental. Limuda Torah is fundamental. It's a machloket. Okay, what does it mean? Talmud Torah keneged kulam. Is it Talmud Torah itself is the everything and greater than everything, or is it like Harambam says in Hilchot Teshuvah? I believe that Talmud Torah keneged kulam is the Talmud, not Teshuvah. Sorry, Talmud Torah is that the Talmud mevilei maaseh that the Torah learning Torah brings you to do other actions. But of course, in itself, it's not everything. It's a way to accomplish everything. So these are all big hashkafic um, uh, ideologies that motivate a person to go either this way or that way. So with that being said, I'm going to share my screen. And I think, uh, were you able to, Abi, to send the Mare Mikomot to everybody? Yeah, okay. So I, right before, I just started collecting different sources. And hopefully we can get some clarity in some of these things. So first, 
you know, uh, we don't have to go into this. I kind of touched upon this, is that you have major rabbinim, major poskim. Let's say this rabbi, Yanon Yonah. He's one of the biggest poskim in Hilchod Nida, in, in Yerushalayim, Sfaradi Rav. And, uh, you know, people I remember here, once I gave a psak in a certain talacha Nida, and he said, no, if, you, if you're not telling me what Rav Yanon Yonah says, I'm not going to listen. Okay, whatever. Says. The Shulchan Aruch said, no, what this rabbi says. Fine. So he has a whole, he gave a whole Devar Torah that Nekuncha uh, said he has, talking about, you know, uh, he, I just read the bold, but pretty much going through all the different points saying why we don't need the army and that we are the most important like we talked about before. He says, We have an obligation, the Bnei Torah, the Bnei Yeshiva, with a loud voice, not to be concerned with what anybody says. It's not the soldiers that are protecting us. Right? It's the people that are learning yeshiva. They're the ones that are protecting the soldiers. And we don't have to ask, ah, if we're all learning Torah, like the majority of the Haredi world, they're learning in yeshiva, learning in Kodel. Well, what's going to happen to to us? No, the answer is, we won't, like we mentioned before, we won't need any protection because there'll be peace in the world. Like Yeshaya Navi says, The more Torah, you're going to have shalom amongst everybody. You know, he's coming out and saying, B'nai Yeshiva. And this is the common approach in the in this camp uh, of uh, the more Haredi, again, this quote, whatever Haredi means, but in the common ultra-Orthodox world in Israel, um, this is the common approach. You know, the, we do not need to go to the army. We don't even need the army. It goes that far. Um, if you guys want on your own, you could read all the different proofs. We'll touch upon certain proofs that he brings. There's so many different proofs and we're not going to get to all of them, but we'll talk about basic ones. So first, we're going to start off with in Bereshit, about Yaakov versus Esav. So we know Yaakov, he was the one that was Ishtam, Yoshev Halim, and Esav was the one, Yodeat Said, Ish Sadeh, he was the more wild one, the hunter, he was the more involved with physical, even let's say physical combat as well. And Hahamim uh, tell us, that Yaakov, what does it mean, Yoshevo Halim? He sat in the tents. Shnei Halim, he sat in two tents. Beit Midrasho Shel Shem, or Beit Midrasho Shel Ever. So he sat, we know, we learned a couple of parashot ago, last week, yeah, last week's parasha, that Yaakov, before he went to Haran with Lavan, he was in the yeshiva in Shem Ever for 14 years. So he was definitely shtagging, he was a ben Torah. But then at the same time, we find later when he's giving the berachot to his children, He's talking about to Yosef. I'm giving you Shechem Ahad Alachecha. I'm giving you Shechem. Besides the Chelek for your brothers, I'm giving you Shechem. Which I took from the Amori. The Amorites. I took this land with my sword and with my bow and arrow. So now we see that the person who was the, the Ben Torah sitting in Yeshivot for many, many years, you know, he's also all of a sudden, he's a warrior with a sword and a bow and arrow. So now we see this dichotomy of, you know, who, who is he? Yaakov Avinu. 
So Rashi tells us the first shot of Rashi. What does it mean that uh, he took the land, the Shechem? He says, Shimon et anshe Shechem. So once Shimon and Levi, they massacred after they did the Brit Milat to all them. On the third day, they massacred everybody in Shechem. So now all the neighboring cities started coming and, you know, wanted to start up and, and you know, fight back against Shimon and Levi. So, so what did Yaakov do? He put his armor on. He got uh, everything he needed to go and wage war and protect. So that's the first shot of Rashi. And then he gives us another shot that perhaps Shechem is not referring to Shechem, Mamash, the Makom Shechem, the place. Rather, it's just talking about Shechem is just a a, 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 chilek, a, a portion of land. And uh, we'll see too, the Ibn Ezra had like that as well. Okay, so another later on, Rashi gives another shot on the words, on the sword and the, and the, and the arrow. Don't take it literal, he says. Right, so he said the word sword doesn't mean sword and the word arrow doesn't mean arrow. Rather, it means wisdom and prayer. So that's what he says. And so, you know, it's not a, 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 such a stretch because the Gemara in Baba Batra, a little different than what Rashi said. Rashi says it's Chokhmah and Tefillah. But it says in the Gemara in Baba Batra, Did he take it with his sword and with his arrow? We already know in Tehillim, David Amalekh says, Right? We don't trust in our in our bow. We don't have, I don't have trust in my, in my sword that will save me. Rather, it's Hashem who's going to save me, right? So rather, the Gemara says, what does it mean, the, seemingly the Peshat of the Torah, when it says the sword and arrow? It means, the sword means the Tefillah, and the arrow means Bakasha. Another way, again, you have Tefillah and Bakasha, whatever the two differences are. But those are two ways that Hashem, that uh, Yaakov Avinu, he prayed for this success, for this, I guess, extra piece of land. So now even, you know, Onkelos, usually, you know, he's giving the Pshatim more rational and trying to take away any elements of uh, physicality to Hashem, etc. And here in the Pasuk, you see his the power that he's giving, uh, he's a perush, he's a mifaresh, he's not uh, giving the Pshat, he's saying, so what's Uncle saying in Aramaic? Bitsloti is my tefillah. He's translating the word of again the Horvi and Kashti, the sword and the arrow. He's saying prayer, Bauti. Again, two words of prayer. Exactly what the Gemara. It's fascinating that Onkelos is translating the Gemara or the, the Pasuk similar to the way the Gemara translated it, right? Whichever one came first, according to our tradition. Onkelos was even before Haza. So therefore, are the, the perush of Onkelos, the Targum. So we see that, you know, seemingly, we have all these Mekorot that Yaakov Avinu was not a soldier. So <laughs> he wasn't uh, somebody who we would think would be a war hero. Uh, a war hero. So the Evan Ezra as well, the Evan Ezra as well, you know, he is the chief of the Perushim of the Habura, let's say. He's, what does he explain? Right, he's saying it was all through Hashem. Okay, fine. And then he also explains like the second shot, the Rashi Shechem means a chilek. But, you know, we know, we all know that, uh, you know, the a, a pasuk doesn't leave its simple pshat. 
right? And you'll say midei pishuto. The common thing we know that the psukim, although you have other elements of derasha and you know uh, explaining it in certain ways and being doresh certain things, we all know that of course you have the simple pshat and it doesn't leave the simple pshat, the simple explanation. So the Ramban, I'm not going to read word for word, but if you check what he says, he's explaining beautifully, and I think this is a simple pshat, is that, of course, Yaakov Avinu had a real sword, had a real arrow, and he went to war. But without Hashem involved in your life, without your reliance on Hashem, without a close relationship with Hashem, your war, your war efforts are going to be meaningless. And that's what Haramban is saying. And I think that's, of course, what Onkelos is trying to tell. That's what the Gemara is trying to give us at Derasha. And that's... Uh, Ebenezer, the uncle, everybody. That's what they're all saying. Of course, there was a you know physical sword, a physical battle that Yaakov Avinu did. However, be, uh, you need to have one plus one. You have to have the component of Hashem involved with you. And this, you know, I I, I wanted to bring this out from the Mishnah Torah as well, from Rambam. He says, you know, Once a person in halachot milhama, a person goes out to war, in the difficulties of war. You have to rely on Hashem, our Savior. You have to know that, you know, just the oneness of Hashem, that Hashem is the one that does wars for us. Don't be scared, etc. You know, the Ramam saying, of course, of course the Ramam means that, you know, you are physically going to war. But when you're going to war, you have to have a certain mindset. You have to have a certain oneness with Hashem. Okay, he doesn't talk about here tefillah, etc. But it's all the same concept. I think that's a simple pishat. Okay. Now, going backwards, another mikor. This is a very common one that we're going to see that the big gedolim, they bring us support why you don't have to go to the military. Is from Avram Avinu. So what happened? So when Lot was taken captive, Avram heard about this and he drafted all his Hanichav, those people, we'll see who they are soon, the people who he raised in his house. And there were 318 warriors, let's say. And he went and he chased after the enemies and he, he won this war. It was like uh, the battle of 300. So it says in the Darim, Amar Rabbi Yavahu, Amar Rabbi Lazar, Avinu. So what was the reason that Avram Avinu was punished? And as a result, his children, his descendants, for 210 years had to go to Mitzrayim. So you would never think this is the reason, but it says, It's because he, we're going to use the Angaria, it's probably a, a Greek word, I'm not sure exactly, with the Shorish version, whatever it is. But he did an Angaria Chahamim. He did the simple shot, he drafted Torah scholars, B'nai Shiva, you know, we're going to see there's a difference between B'nai Shiva and Torah scholars. But he drafted Tamide Chahamim to a war. To this war effort to go and save Lot, his nephew. Right? To look at the Ran too as well. He, he explains the Ran. He says, uh, Who are these people? The Hanichal. They are the people that he taught. He raised them in, in Torah. And these were Tamidei Torah scholars 
that got the you know great misura from Avraham Avinu, and he draw he he gathered he drafted them to this war effort. And because of this, the Gemara is saying, or at least one pshat. There's different pshatim, but this is one pshat. But a lot of people like to you know take this one pshat and put it on a poster and say, ah, you see, we're exempt or don't take uh, Torah b'nei Shiva. They're using it from this mikor. And because of this, we had to go to Mitzrayim because of this action of taking Torah scholars for military service. We have another similar concept in Sota about where Asa, he was one of the kings after David Amelech, maybe fourth to fifth generations after. He was punished also. He had something, some type of ailment on his leg. He got some type of sickness on his leg. Halayat uh, Raglav. So it says, Amar Yehuda, Amar Padgara, Padgara. He got some type of disease on his leg. So Why did he get punished? Says the Gemara Sota. Again, you get you're using for certain things. You're drafting them for certain things. You're gonna get punished. So there was uh, he got everybody to do something. So my uh, I brought the whole pasuk there. My inaki. So Amar Yehuda Amar Rav Afiru Hatan Mehadro Vekala Mehupata. He gathered even a Hatan, a fresh Hatan, a fresh Kala. He gathered them and they had to go and build stuff for him. Right there again. Here we're not talking about a, a war being drafted for military service. Rather, he is being drafted for some type of uh, building. Right, he said, "Et geva binamin ve et He had a build thing. He wanted. He drafted these people to build things for him. So you see again, drafting Torah scholars for something is bad. One we see more for our case from the case of Avraham Avinu, and then also Melech Asa, the same type of concept of Angaria. So I was doing some research and I found very something fascinating from the. This is the the sons Rav, the Rav Yikutiel Halberstein. He has a separate Yatsik Pitgam. And he talks about this concept of, you know, Avram Avinu and drafting B'nai Torah for military service. And, you know, first, I mean, he brings in the Rosh. I didn't mention this, but the Rosh also says, you know, the Torah itself says, you know, from the fact that Avram Avinu asked, how will I know that this covenant will come into fruition, how it's going to happen? That's why the Torah sounds like he's punished and the descendants are punished to go to Mitzrayim. Nevertheless, he the Rosh explains, no, it was really through, why did Avram Avinu come to that level where he had to ask Bema'eda? And therefore, he asked Bema'eda because he drafted military, uh, to the military. That's the Shita Tarosh. Very fascinating. Fine. So... So now says the sons Rav, he asks the question, why is it that just because Avram Avinu, he made this Angaria, he did this draft of Tamir Chachamim, he got punished by asking Bema'eda, and therefore Memela led to this Mitzrayim, Shibud Mitzrayim. He says, so we all know the famous machloket of Rabbi Ishmael and Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Famous machloket. So on the one hand it says, Lo Torah right? You always have to be with the Torah, learning Torah, shtaging in the Torah. So you think maybe ah, it's the way it's written, you have to take a literal. 
That means you always have to have your sefer in front of you learning. Right? You have to go and gather the produce, work in the field, etc. You have to do normal things of derecheretz. So therefore, that's the shita of Rabbi Ishmael. And therefore, the sons of Rav wants to say that Avram Avinu, you know, we're, we're taking the machloket of these Tanaim and saying Avram Avinu held with this shita. This was a shita that he was like Rabbi Ishmael. And therefore, look, you have Tamil Chachamim. And we have to go save Lot. I need to do some military service. We need some military drafts going on right now. So therefore, he gathered all these 318 people to go to war because he held like Rabbi Ishmael. However, Rabbi Shimon Bayochai, of course, he argued on this opinion. And he says, you know, if you're going to be doing Harisha, when it's the time of Harisha, you're going to be doing all the plowing, whenever it's all the different seasons. You're never going to have time to learn Torah, right? Torah Matiya What's going to happen with the Torah? And therefore, okay, that's a whole other machloket, and it's very fascinating how you can understand the Shita Rabbi Shimon Bayochai. Have a nice pshat on that for another day. So, nevertheless, he wants to say that Avram Avinu was going with that Shita, with the Shita Rabbi Shimon. So, you know, one of the ways that the Sfaradim love to learn, and it's also an academic way of learning as well, is you have to see who said what and see if it's connected somehow. So, who was the one that gave this pshat? In the Darim, it was Amar Rabbi Abahu, Amar Rabbi Lazar. Who was it? Ah, no, sorry, Michila. Where was it? Oh, okay, it was Rav here. So Rav was the one who held like this. However, if you go into the Gemara Berachot, you see it was Rava and other Rabbanim as well. They held that they were posek like Rabbi Ishmael. And therefore, the son's rab is trying to take a shita and take it out of context because Rav himself, Rav himself was the one that held like Rabbi Ishmael as well. He would tell his Talmudim during the don't be you know, in the Beit Midrash. Go and work, which clearly held like Rabbi Ishmael. So it's hard to say that pshat of uh, what uh, the son's rabbi was saying. So a simple pshat, and of course, this is more on the side of the, let's say now we're going into the world of the Datilumi Again, labels are unfortunate, but we're going to that world now. So how do they answer this? So Rav Yehuda Gershoni, he was a Talmud of Rav Kook, the chief Ashkenazi rabbi, also Talmud of the Nazir, one of the Talmudim of Rav Kook as well. And he had a, a nice kuntres also about serving in the army, etc. Allah have arichut on it. And here he talks about this topic as well. And I'm just going to read some of it because I think it's fundamental. He says, Regarding, you know, getting people of the yeshiva to being drawn to the army to draft them. I hold already, I told you, I, I wrote about in the beginning of my sefer that it's a milhamid mitzvah. From all the difficulties that come upon us. Also, we have another mitzvah of Conquering the land of Israel. Amalek. As well, we're we're fighting Amalek, right? Right. This is according to the Rav Chaim of Risk that Amalek Geza, right? Amalek is not just a race, but it's also a shita. It's a philosophy. It's a if you're, you know, you want the extinction of Bnei Israel, you are part of Amalek. You are labeled Amalek, and we have a mitzvah to kill you. And this is the the the, the Rav of Risk who holds like this. 
So Umashin is called Gemara Nidarim, and that we mentioned Gemara Nidarim, where the Gemara talks about Amar bi Abud, Amar bi Alazab, the Mane Nesh Avraham Avinu, right? Why was Avraham Avinu punished? Because he did this Angaria with Tamir Hamim, right? So he says, In this Shayach Linyanenu. How does he answer this? He's saying, This is not connected to our discussion about nowadays in the army. Because what he was talking about and what we're dealing with nowadays, military service in the army, that's talking about a milchemet mitzvah. We have the Am Yisrael has a obligation to do this mitzvah. The Sham, however, by Avraham Avinu, lo haya milchemet mitzvah, rak ben achiv. It wasn't milchemet mitzvah that we have post Matan Torah. Rather, it was just a mitzvah of saving his brother, his, his nephew, Michila. He's talking about what is considered mitzvah, mitzvah. But he wants to make a chiluk very simple. Avraham Avinu was dealing with, not with a case of a national, let's say, sakana to Am Yisrael, a national danger to Am Yisrael. It was about him going out of his way and fight and, and, and saving his nephew. And therefore, you can't compare, you can't use this proof for what we're dealing with nowadays. Right? And also, regarding what we said in Sotah by Asa HaMelech, also, that you can't bring as a proof as well, because that it wasn't even about war at all, like we mentioned. It was just about, you know, building up the Binyamin and Mitzvah. So therefore, that's not a proof at all. And I think this is Pashut, you know. If we're going to take the Agada literal, you know, you have to take the Agada and take it from where it comes from and the context of where it comes from. And Avram Avinu obviously was not talking about a national Mitzvah of protecting Eretz Yisrael, etc. It was a different case. So that's a beautiful answer. Okay, another common... Sugiya that many people use to say to show why Torah scholars, B'nai Shiva, they extended to B'nai Shiva, don't have to go and do military service is from the Gemara in Baba Batra. That there we have Rabbi Yudan, Ramad, the Shura, the Rabbanan. So he, he made a tax on rabbis, on certain rabbis for certain uh, payments. So Amar Rish Lakish, Rabbanan Lot Serichaniteruta, right? He says, no, Rish Lakish says, Rabbi Uda, you don't why are you charging a tax on these people on Tamir Hachamim? They don't need any protection. Right? The Gemara talks about what does it mean? Esperam lemaasim shastadikim mechor yirbun bekar habehon. He says the 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 Tamir Hachamim they are protecting like they're protecting the ocean. They're like the sand of the ocean. So what does it mean? The sand is like the ma'asim, the actions of the Tamir Chahamim. And therefore, they protect the ocean from going up. And therefore, you know, so therefore, if it's going to, for sure, it's protecting the Tamir Chahamim themselves. And therefore, they don't need to pay this tax. That's going to be a tax for funds for gathering, for bricks to build walls or gates, etc. Things for protection. So that you see, the Tamir Chahamim, they have a certain shmira. And therefore, they don't need to participate in things that are done to counteract Shemira, that, that are going to be uh, dangerous to us. So another, Rav Nachman bar Rav Hizda, Rami Karga, Rabbanan, Amar Leir, Rav Nachman bar Yitzhak, Avarta, Deoraita, Another case, this rabbi, he wanted to put a karga, a tax on the rabbis. And they said, you know, they said back to him, by you doing this, you're being, you're transgressing Tanakh in all different ways. Um, again, another another Gemara. This is all in the few Dapim there in Baba Batra. It says, Amar of Yehuda, Hakol Gafa. Yeah, everybody has to pay for the, uh, Rashi explains, Share Homotair, for the walls of the city, the protection. Afiru Mitme, even the Yitumim, 
the orphans. But the rabbis, they don't have to pay. They don't need protection. Right? And then it talks about for water, but if they need to pay to, for digging wells for water, then the hachamim do have to pay. So from this Gemara, you see that you know they have a, a good claim for Tamid hachamim. We don't need any protection. We are protected through the merit of the Torah. And therefore, we don't have to go to military service because we're protected by our Shmira of the Torah. First of all, just simply, you know, here we're talking about building certain things for what, we don't know exactly what type of Shmira it's from, but let's say from bandits, from Ganavim, etc. We don't know the exact Shmira the Gemara is talking about. But it's not talking about actively going to war and fighting a war. You know, for participating in a war, participating in fighting a war, we're going to see soon that this is something that's uh, every universal was done by everybody. But, okay, they have certain exemptions because of their limud Torah and their level in hachama and chokhmah. Okay, so they do get certain exemptions, but only financial exemptions. We're not talking about, you know, being exempted from going to war. And further than that, when you look at the Harambam, the way the Rambam brings this halachot down is very fascinating. Um, in Hilchot Shechenim, where he talks about all the different taxes, he says, right, These things, you gather them from everybody in the city, except from the Torah scholars. Right? Simply like the Gemara and Baba Batra, the Torah protects these Torah scholars, and therefore, they are going to be exempt from this. Okay, but now you go to Hilchot Tamut Torah, earlier in the Mishneh Torah, and the Rambam talks about all the things that Tamir HaChamim, let's say, exemptions they have. It says, Tamir HaChamim enan yotzin be'atzman le'asot im kol ha'kahal b'binyana ve'afira shel medina. Right, they don't have to go out and do all these, uh, this busy work of uh, building the city. Uh, the reason why? Because it's not kavod for them. If the people see them, you know, they're working in their nice uh, jalabiya, etc., going out and working like uh, like dogs, it's not going to be kavod for the way people will look at them. They'll look at them differently. We don't collect from these tamiyachahamim for building the city walls. And also for the gates, and for the paying of the the guy who's guarding the city, the Chayutzeben, below the Shurat Tamelech, also for other things for the king. Then Mechavinotan Litenamas, Ben Mashu Katsuva, Ben Ayir, also for any taxes, uh, whether it's for the entire attacks that's put on the entire city or a tax that's on each person individually, right? Uh, and if you see the whole context, everything here, uh, Again, the next, let's, let's go to the next one as well. Let's say a Tamir Hacham, back then they used to work. <laughs> Nowadays, of course, some too as well. But in the Tamir Hacham used to work back then. And now they have to go and sell their stuff. So we would let them, you know, we wouldn't open up the, the marketplace until they would go first and sell their stuff. And the whole context of this Halachot here, the Raman's bringing it down, is about Kavod for the Tamir Hachamim. So you see from here that the Ramam's holding simply, simply is that these exemptions of the Tamir Hamim from not paying the Shmirah, etc., the root cause of it is because of a kavod that we give him. We give kavod to the Torah, we give the kavod to the people that are learning the Torah, the Tamir Hamim, because 
through that, we're going to, you know, be able, by not charging them these type of things, we elevate their status. And, and that's simply the, the reason seemingly from this Rambam. Although the Gemara simply doesn't say that, the, the crux of it sounds like from the Rambam, this is it. And if you see in Pirush Mishnah, the Rambam as well, you know, he talks about, you know, of course, he goes on a long rant, a famous rant in Pirkei Avot, on his Pirush Avot, of why Tamir HaChamim, they're not allowed to take money for Torah, etc. And he talks about there, but some exemptions that they have. And he talks about, you know, you can, let's say a Tamir HaCham, he has some good uh, gems. So you can, he can have somebody else do business with it for him and he benefits from that business. So certain exemptions. And he talks about there as well, the exemptions, attack the exemptions they have. And there he says all these things, it's all because of the kavod. It's the, for the kavod for them. It's a, a little exemption we give uh, to release the burden on the Tamir HaChamim. So that's one thing as well. But let's say we're not going to go with this shot and what I'm saying in the Rambam. The Rambam is talking about simply only Tamir HaChamim. And Tamir HaChamim is not something, you know, we use it nowadays. We call everybody HaChamim. We call everybody this and that. But to be a Tamir HaChamim, there's different shitot of what is a Tamir HaChamim. But it's not every single person that learns in Yeshiva is Tamir HaChamim. Especially if they don't learn basic, you know, they don't know basic halacha. You know, they're not yore, yore, they're not, not basic stuff. You can't call them tamir hachami. It's talking about few individuals, a couple, a handful in the city, the mi'ut of a mi'ut in the city. And they would have certain exemptions in the paying for the shmirah. But again, like we said before, this is not exempting you from military service. So just a, a, a point I wanted to bring out. Now, another point. Again, we're going back to back, different uh, things that people bring up. So Shevet Halevi. So this this is probably one of the most famous Rambam, especially people that were learning in very Yeshiva Yeshivot. They love this Rambam at the end of Hilchot Shmita Ve'yovel about the Rambam's comparison of B'nai Torah, let's say, to Shevet Halevi. So let's read it to, to understand a little bit. So he says here that so everybody, anybody who's from the tribe of Levi, they're warned not to inherit any parts of Eretz Yisrael. And also, they're warned not to take any of the, the booty when the land is conquered. Okay, we'll skip the psukim. So, okay, it seems to me, the Rambam, he says that it seems to me that this only applies about, you know, the, the Shevet Levi, first of all, sounds like they can't take any of the Nahala nor the the the, the Biza of the, of the land. That's only applying to Eretz Yisrael that was promised to Abraham Avinu, but not to other lands that the, the Jewish army goes in and, and, and uh, defeats. And now, this is the main part. So why is Shevet Levi not able to receive any chalik in Eretz Yisrael? And nor can they get any of the, the, the property when they win the war with the rest of their brothers. So Because Shevet Levi, the tribe of Levi, was separated to serve Hashem. In order to serve Hashem and to teach the ways of Hashem, to, te- to spread the words, the, the 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 Torah of Hashem to everybody. Therefore, Shevet Levi, 
they have to be separated from the normal way of the world. They don't go into war. The word orchin is, you have to be in that, but they don't, or, or they're not part of the organizations of war. They don't inherit it. Right? They don't go and have to work hard to get certain things. They're the army of Hashem. And Hashem is the one that gives to them. Okay, so we see that Shevet Levi, we're going to see what does that mean that they're exempt from going to war. But nevertheless, they are supposed to be the priest of Am Yisrael, sitting in the Bet HaMikdash, they're sitting in the temples, they're the one that are doing the holy work, where everybody else has to do more of the mundane stuff. And now the Ramam says, this is the main, main part, and not only Shevet Levi, the tribe of Levi has to, you know, has this, let's say, opportunity. Rather, every single person, now this is important to the words as well, we're going to see later, from all people, that they have that spirit, and they, you know, they understood that they want to, in their in their chokhmah, they want to be removed from everything and just be before Hashem, to serve Hashem, to know Hashem. And they want to, they want to remove from themselves the burden, the burden that everybody, you know, is busy with mundane matters, right, that everybody else wants. That's person, this person that does this, that wants this, these are his goals, aspirations. He becomes holy of holies. Hashem Helko and Hashem becomes his portion, his lot. And he inherits forever and ever. And he's going to inherit in this world whatever he needs. Just like the Kohanim and Levi'im received as well. Right, David. He would say, David Amelech, that Hashem is my portion, because Hashem takes care of me. So, from this, many people want to say that you see, ah, you see, anybody can be like Shevet Levi, A, being exempt from war, and B, you know, perhaps just being a uh, Avrech, being learning Kolel, and Hashem will take care of me. And we're going to say that this is how some of the biggest Gedolim of the previous generation they held. For example, Sefer Derech Emuna of Rav Chaim Kenevsky, it's a Perush on Hirchot uh, Yovel of the Rambam. He writes, he has like, it's like Misha Birura. He has first the Derech Emunah and then he has the Biur Halacha. So it's simply he writes, what does it mean? Somebody who wants to attain this level. So, Mashma degam tamidei hachamim en yotzin lemilchama. Said Rav Chaim Kenevsky. Mashma from here that tamidei hachamim, they don't go to the war. Just like Shevet Levi didn't. Right, and this remember we brought this above about Avram Avinu. Why did, why were we all punished to go to Mitzrayim? Because he did Angaria He used Torah scholars as uh, he drafted them to the military. Okay, he brings the, the whole case of Asa as well, the king of Asa as well, who was using Tamid Hamim. So, you know, if you open up the Sefer, it's a halachic Sefer, seemingly, with some Hindu as well. You know, Rav Chaim is learning from here that Torah scholars 
are going to be exempt from going to war, just like Shevet Levi. Um, let's see, in the Biru Halacha as well, he goes into these things. Uh, we won't have to go into this now, but it's just a little more arichut on, on, on this concept as well. Okay, so let's see the opposite side. First of all, regarding Shevet Levi, if they're going to be exempt from going to war. So we know the Gemara in Sota, it talks about, it's the Mishnah, it's the Mishnah in Sota. It says, When do we have all these exemptions? The Mishnah lists all these exemptions from going to war. And it says, when are we talking about these exemptions? When it's a non-obligatory war. But when it's an obligation to go to war, everybody goes. Even a fresh hatan. And the kala mehupato, even a kala, so even women sounds from here the simple shot that women have to go to war on a milchemet mitzvah. Okay, so we, okay, that, we don't know about Shevet Levi yet, but that's already getting in the mindset that you see all these people that have to go to war. Now, Gemara in Kiddushin, Ibai lehu, Kohen mau be yifatoar. Can a Kohen, can he be with the yifatoar? So is it Kiddushu loshna Kohen veloshna Yisrael? Since the Torah allows a yifatoar, you know, maybe even by a coin, even though a coin is not allowed to marry a giyoret, etc., or geruja, whatever it is, nevertheless, it's a chidush, and therefore it's allowed even for a coin. Uh, giyoret is a minya sovir. So it's a machloket, but everybody agrees that in the end, if you see the Gemara, it's, is it, everybody agrees that a coin is allowed to be with a, to be married to yifatuar, to be with a yifatuar. The question is, is it from the first Bia onwards or the second Bia only? Is it, I think the, the Makhluk is from the second Bia onwards. But nevertheless, think about this. The Gemara is asking, can a Kohen be with a Yifatuar? What is it saying? How do you get a Yifatuar? Right, you, you guys can Google what's a Yifatuar after. But what is it for those who don't know? What A Yifatuar is when you go into war and you're fighting and you have a Yitzhak, whatever it is, and you go and you take these women from the war. I forgot the proper article word for the Yifatuar, if anybody can say it. We know the Yifatuar proper word? Okay, whatever it is. So you go and take these women. That means it's only for soldiers, though. Only soldiers can get the Yifatuar. You can't, you know, take a Yifatuar and bring her to the, the Kohanim sitting near the Beit HaMikdash. It had to be the Kohanim going to war. So from this Gemara, you see the Kohanim, which are part of Shevet Levi, you know, the highest of Shevet Levi, they were going to war. There's also a, a, a Sifri as well. The Hamim say, You have to send all these people to the Tzava from all the different tribes. What does it mean to all the different tribes? They have to go to the army. Even Shevet Levi has to go to war. So the Rambam is not coming and saying, you know, Shevet Levi is exempt from war. They're just, they're exempt from certain wars, right? I think that's what uh, the, the yuk in the words of the Rambam, when he says, uh, it's talking about probably wars that are of a reshut, that, you know, they want to go expand the land, they want to go and get some, you know, they need some more possessions for whatever reasons politically. Those are type of wars that Shevet Levi wouldn't go, but for mitzvot, wars that are of mitzvah, even Shevet Levi has to go. And that's how even the Kohanim can get the Yifatuar if they go to war. So that's one thing. Again, and we already saw from Abgirshoni that, you know, if we're dealing with the Milhamid Mitzvah nowadays, you know, especially we feel this more than anything, what we're going on right now in Eretz Yisrael, dealing with people like Hamas, it's mamash uh, worse than Amalek, perhaps. So, 
I wanted to bring Rav Kafeh, how he learns this Rambam. It's very fascinating what he says on this Rambam. First of all, people wanted to, the Radbaz, the Maaser they wanted to kind of ask on this Rambam from Hilchot Yovel, Shmitan Yovel, you know, how does the Rambam say here that, you know, Tamir HaHamim can just learn Torah and, you know, be, you know survive on Hashem, whereas in Hilchot Tamut Torah, in Pirush Mishnayot, the Rambam was the most against that. So Rav Kafech is asking, he's saying, I have no clue how these rabbis are making a connection between what the Rambam says there and what the Rambam is saying right here. Because he says, um, because when the Ramam is talking about his famous shita about, you know, don't use the Torah as a tool to make money, etc. That's talking about Tamut Torah and Am Yisrael, the relationship of Am Yisrael and Tamut Torah. If somebody who's taking money for Torah, and we're not talking about Shul Rabbis nowadays, it's very different because now Shul Rabbis are more of a social worker. It's very different. We're not getting into that whole now. But somebody who just wants to sit and take money for learning Torah and is burning the sibur because he wants to sit and learn Torah. According to Harambam, you're doing a desecration of Hashem. You're ruining Judaism, he's saying. You're even shortening your life, etc. So there, all those things are dealing with Am Yisrael, the Jewish nation, in relationship with Torah, of learning Torah. However, here, this Rambam in Hilchot Shemitah Yovel, medubal al kol ish ve'ish mikol ba'ye ha'olam. Remember I said to watch those words, ba'ye ha'olam. What does it mean, mikol ba'ye ha'olam? Rav Kafe says, ve'hem lechol ba'ye ha'olam yesh Torah. He says, ve'im, sorry, ve'im, is it that all the people of the world, the words ba'ye ha'olam means all people, even Gentiles. Do they all have Torah as well? Do they have this relationship with Torah like we have, Am Yisrael? No, he says, You can't compare what the Ramam says over there to here. He says, You can't, there's no shayachut to them. I don't want to go too far into what the Rambam says here. <laughs> you know, this kind of really stirred him up. This, how people interpret this Rambam and kind of, According to Rav Kafe, corrupt the Rambam to use it as a means for, let's say, kolel or whatever. He's saying, I don't want to get into this or whatever. Give them anything. He says, okay, so he gives a little bit of chat at the end. But Rav Kafe is saying something beautiful. He's saying, this Rambam is talking about all people of the world. And actually, I did a little search in Otsar uh, Ochmah. Whenever, anytime somebody in Chachamim used Baya Olam, that's referring to Goyim as well. It's referring to Goyim. It's not referring to Jewish people. And the Ramam specifically used Lechol Baya Olam. All people. So this, the Ramam is talking about, it's a more of a, a spiritual connection that you want to be, you want to, Hashem gave us this concept of Shevet Levi. You can mimic it and implement the Musar, the, the Torah, the learning, or not the learning, the lesson that Shevet, Shevet Levi represents and incorporate that into your personal life. That's what the Ramam is saying. And this is besides the fact that Harambam, you know, always at the end of the of, of all different Sfarim in the Mishneh Torah, he's always giving us some type of Musar, the end of Tumah Vitara. He's always giving us, a, this is his Kach Darko, this is his, his way. He gives us a certain Musar uh, piece of advice and a lesson to kind of give us Chizuk. It's a nice, it's a nice uh, Chizuk. 
but not to take this into halacha lemaaseh and to say, oh, from here we see that tamila hamim are patur from war. You know, Rav Kafech, that's he's saying, besides the fact that it's not talking about Torah and Jewish people and that relation, it's talking about all people in the world, even righteous goyim that want to live a certain spiritual life. Besides that, the Ramam is giving us, this is my own chidush, that he, the Ramam is just telling us a nice chidush to give us some chizuk. Fine, that's Rav Kafech. Okay. I, I found also the Teshuot of Rav Kafech as well. People ask on this Ramam as well. And he says, he says, The Rambam's is not talking about only the Jewish people. He's talking about all people. He's not, you can't bring from this that Torah scholars are exempt from war. This is going to be beautiful. He's saying, the Hachamim tell us that the head of the Sanhedrin was in the army of David HaMelech. Says Rav Kafe. Nowadays, we don't have anybody who has the level of Torah to umnato, that his, his uh, Torah is his umanut. Like Rabbi Shimon by Yochai, etc. He's kind of giving a play on words and saying, people, they use the Torah as their parnasa to make money from it, but they don't have the real way of doing it. He's kind of bashing them. He's saying people use Torah as a parnasa, but people are not really the proper way of through their Torah and spirituality, Hashem provides for them on that high level, like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. We don't have that nowadays. That's what Rav Kafech was saying. So that inspired me when I saw this Rav Kafech about David Melech in his army. He had people that were the head of the Sanhedrin. You know, you, you don't have a better proof than that to show that even, you know, the best Avrech in the Kolel must go to war, you know. And and where are these from? Where are these different Mekorot from? So I made a list that I could find. So in the in this midrash, in the Piskei de Rabbati, it says, Who is this talking about? It's talking about Yoav. Yoav is Yoshev Bashevet Tachkemoni. Right, that it says in, in Shmuel Bet. And the Chachamim say, who is this referring to? Who is Yoav? Yoav, sorry, Michila, Yoav. He was great in Torah, and he was Gibor B'milchama. So he was a Tamil Chacham, and Rosh Sanhedrin, and he was a great warrior. So you see this combination that Tamir Chachamim were also superb warriors. We have Midrash Shanhuma. He says, uh, uh, this is talking about Yoav as well. No, before, sorry, we were talking about, yeah, Yoav as well. Same thing. Yoshev Beshev Tachmonia. Who is this talking about? Shechacham Gadol Haya Yoav Batura Verosh Sanhedrin. The head of the Sanhedrin. We don't have anybody who comes close to that nowadays to be a head of Sanhedrin. And he was the top in the army. We have Gemara and Berachot. Avishai Ben Siruya. Also, the brother of Yoav, he was equivalent to the majority of Sanhedrin. He was that great. Again, warriors plus tremendous Tamirah Chachamim. We have Baba Bata, Yair ben Menashe, he was also on that high level. Who was Yair ben Menashe? He was the son of Menashe. He was the one that led the military fights to Ai in Sefer Yoshua. He was a uh, Top of the top in Torah and war as well. We have Moshe. People forget Moshe Rabbeinu. Was he a warrior as well? Okay, we know everybody knows in the Torah that you you know his hands would go up and uh, okay that would fight, but also he would fight as well. Moshe how how tall was he? Eseramot. Okay, we're not going to go into what does it mean he was ten amot tall, physically impossible, but nevertheless, Shekel Narga he took Shekel Naga Bar Asaramin. He took something that was ten amot. How did he kill Og? He took something and he hit it on the ankles of Og Melech Bashan and he killed him. 
So obviously, Hamim are telling us that Moshe Rabbeinu also was an amazing warrior as well. We have uh, in Shemot, you, everybody knows Sefer, you, you read Sefer Yoshua, besides it's one of the bloodiest, uh, one of the bloodiest in Tanakh, we know he was a warrior as well. Moshe Rabbeinu told him in the Torah, it says, Go lilachem ba'amalek, Moshe ve'aron ve'hur alur Rosh Kiva. So they went to Rosh Kiva, but Yoshua himself was going and fighting in the war. Um, ah, another thing, <laughs> David HaMelech. We know David HaMelech before. When he was younger, he was a, a warrior, for sure. Everybody knows that. What about when he got older too? Perhaps maybe then he became, you know, he was Chosebet Tshuva and he was only learning Torah in the Yeshiva. So Gemara says, Amar Yehuda, Amar Rav, Arba Me'ot Yiladim Hayu David. He had 400 children to David HaMelech. Kulan B'nei Yifatuar. They were all children of Yifatuar. Again, what's Yifatuar? You have to help me out with our art scroll word for it. But Yifatuar, you can only get it in war. So obviously David HaMelech was a warrior, went to war and he got all these uh, Yifatuar. And bigger than this, I was thinking that who is the Mashiach going to be? Mashiach, we all know, he has to be one of the top warriors warriors as well. Um, right, the Rambam in Hilchot Teshuvah, he talks about why everybody wants Mashiach, etc. And the Mashiach himself, Mashiach was not only just a warrior. He says, he says, that King Shiamud Mizera David Bar that Mashiach, the Mashiach, when he comes, is that Hashem, he's going to be smarter than Shlomo HaMelech. And he's going to be the closest to Moshe Rabbeinu in Nivuah and prophecy. And of course, we know that the Melech Mashiach, if you go to Hilchot Melachim, he has to wage a war. It's not a spiritual war that some people want to say, oh, perhaps this rabbi was a Mashiach because he led a spiritual war. You know, you probably know what I'm talking about. No, it's not about the the war. Is a physical war that the Mashiach has to wage, and you can check it out there in Hilchot Melachim. We don't have so much time. You can also see, go back to the Gemara and Sanhedrin all over the place. Who did Rabbi Akiva thought the Mashiach was? Bar Kuziva, he thought Bar Kokhba was a Mashiach. Their Hachamim tell us that he was so strong that he could, when he was riding his horse, he could be Okera Ilan. He could take the tree and rip it out of the ground. That was his might. Again, is it a Mashiach? Probably, but for sure he was a warrior. And nevertheless, Rabbi Akiva thought, and the Rambam adds in, uh, I think actually I brought it here. The Rambam says, yeah, him, Rabbi Akiva, and all the hachamim of his generation, which is, it's not so clear in the Gemara, but you know, a lot of people have perush on this. That, that Bar Kokhba was a Mashiach until he died, etc. So again, Rabbi Akiva, and we know this, the Rambam is posek like this, he held the credentials of being Mashiach. You had to be a warrior. A few more seconds, if you guys don't mind. He says, the Rambam. In a, he has a famous, you know, the Rambam mostly wrote in Arabic, besides the Mishra Torah, and all his Tishuvot are in Arabic, besides a few. And he want, he wrote a, he get it to the Hachamim of Provence, Marcel, Marci, I forgot the pronoun, Marci, Marci, I think you don't even pronounce the L, in France, uh, I forget, for, Marseille, Marseille. Marseille, Marseille, thank you. Sorry, I'm just a Floridian-American. not very historically educated. So, the, the Rambam, he wrote a letter in Hebrew to Hachamim in, in, in Marseille regarding astrology. And there he, he talks about that. They ask him this question about astrology, does it work, etc. And he deducts, he deducts from this, he says, for sure you guys didn't receive my book, the Misha Torah, yet. It's on the way. I know Hachamim in, in different places got it. I know in Italy they got it, etc. 
And if you see what I wrote there in Halachot Abu Zarah, I show that, you know, if you believe in astrology, you're, it's, you're doing Abu Zarah. This is the famous Shita of Harambam, and he's not alone. He's like Reskas, we have Rav Shiragaon believed in this as well. They were against astrology, not like the Ramban and other people as well, other Shitot. And he says something fascinating. He says, Everybody knows when it comes time for Tisha B'Av, why did we, the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, the Rambam says something very different that you won't hear in Yeshivot, uh, maybe in certain Yeshivot. He says, the reason why we lost our kingship, our Malchut of Am Yisrael, and the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, and we're in this situation now in exile, because our forefathers, they sin and they're not around anymore. Because they got very into, they found these farim and books on astrology, on this hibijibi stuff. And they say, oh, if you do this, this happens, or this happens, or this happens. And it's, these are the principles of Avodah Zarah. And therefore, our forefathers, they went after this approach and uh, this caused such terrible things. They thought this is that this astrology is such beautiful logic and, and wisdom and with such benefit to it. And as a result, they weren't busy in learning the art of war. And they weren't learning the art of conquering land or, or actually practically actively conquering land. They thought, no, these hibijibi things is going to help them. The benefit is when you do these type of things and not, you know, going to war or learning about war and physical combat, etc. And I brought this once before. I, I remember I gave a shiur on Yom Ma'ut, And this is a very powerful Rabbi Yaakov Moshe Toledano. He, he writes there, about and this was before the Holocaust. He writes, comparing that he says, what he sees going on in Ashkenaz, that they held, we don't fight back against the Goyim. This is a kapara from Hashem. This is our d- destiny. And you know, we we die. And he says that this is causing so much bloodshed. This is before the Holocaust. When I read this, I I I, I shook. I was it was crazy to, to read that he was saying this. If you want later on, we get it, read it inside. And he says, he says, the, in the time of the Amoraim, Geonim, even in Girush Farad, Gedolei Yisrael Hasual Kevodan Vikavoda Kilot, in this op- opposite approach of how it was in Europe, these people, these, these communities were very, very, no, we're, we're fighting back. They would go and fight back against their enemies. Right? They didn't try. They in in these European areas, they just lowered their heads. They didn't go and fight back. And he says that actually trickled down into the other Sephardic lands as well. And he says, It's an obligation. On all the great Torah scholars, Uman Higav, and all the, the teachers of the, the Jewish people, Torah. He says, in your yeshiva, in your Talmud Torah, you have to establish classes to teach people. In the yeshivot, an hour a day, a time a day. That they're ready to wage war and to fight back. This is fascinating. He's telling, this again, pre-Holocaust. He's telling 
It's an obligation that the Tamidi Hachamim, the teachers in Yeshiva, they have to educate the Talmidim. Take it, take time from your Torah learning in order to teach how to fight back, how to fight, how to use weapons, etc. Um there one last thing about Rav Avner, you know, is there a mitzvah to serve in the army? He says, just be kitsuri, he says, Haretzavahu mitzvah. Serving in the army, it's a mitzvah. Afiru mitzvah mishuleshet. It's it's uh there's many mitzvah to it. Hatsalata'am, saving the Jewish nation. Hatsalata'aretz vikidush Hashem, saving the land within itself is something of kibush haaretz, etc. Of vikidush Hashem, and you're also sanctifying Hashem's name. Vim kach lomde Torah sarich lekaimota yoter to mikulam, lekaimotan ulimahadin, right? He says, if that's the case, if that's the case, the the Tamira Hahamim, they should this is the they should jump on the bandwagon and this is their mitzvah. They should do this more than anybody. This is the most mahajan people who should be doing this. And he says, it's a big mitzvah. We don't have to go into this. But uh, And then he talks about, you know, the ta'ana, the claim that people say, ah, there's, you know, it has to be mahanecha kadosh. We have to have a holy camp in the army. They have all this shmutz, etc. inside the camp. How can we do that? He says, listen, the only way to improve it is for us to do it. The more religious people in the army, the more... Uh, and the more people that have spiritual endeavors and, and actually, you know, we're seeing this nowadays we'll get back to that, the more you have that the more kadosh and the more hashpaha, hashpaha you're going to have on the army and there's something fascinating, I'm sure everybody is realizing this right now is that, you know, I remember seeing 20 years ago, the different wars and you see maybe one out of a thousand soldiers wears a keeper. you're like, whoa, that's amazing now you're seeing, besides almost everybody wearing tzitzit in the army more than half of the soldiers they're wearing kippot. Something is going on. Something tremendous is happening. And I think the kitsur that we something we can learn from here is that we have to have a certain appreciation, a big appreciation that we have an army. We're able to do what Rav Yaakov Toledano said that we can arm ourselves, we can fight for ourselves, defend ourselves. And not only is that practical and it's realistic, it's rational that we a Jewish nation should have this, but it's a tremendous mitzvah and it's something that. All of our avot did. Everybody from Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, all the way, David Melech, all the way down, all the Nevi'im, they were all doing these things. And this is a tremendous thing that we have. And we should know that, you know, we should be able to have the tools. And hopefully this is just a, a, a beginning to start of, you know, the tools that we need in order to educate ourselves in order to, oh, so what, what's the proper way? What's the proper method? Should we go to the army? Is no, is Torah learning better? Of course, we're all saying Torah learning is extremely important. It is the Yisrael, Kim Hayenu, Yamenu, of course. But at the same time, there's a time for action as well. Thank you guys so much. And again, thank you for sponsoring the Shir Maor. And it should be a Nishmat for your father, Yitzhak bin Alexander. Wow, Rabbi. Um, powerful, very powerful, very compelling case. And, and uh, the time you've taken to collect the sources. And thank you. We appreciate that. Um, I don't know if anyone has any any questions. Um, feel free to unmute or to just raise raise your hand, whatever's easiest. Arbi, do you have you have time to take a couple of questions? Oh yeah, of course. Yes, yes. Actually, I like that that uh, Vedat Levi. He said that the Yemenite manuscripts they say for the Onkelos Bekashti. They have a different uh, gear style. It doesn't they add have... the last bit. Yeah, it doesn't add. Uh, it doesn't change it to Tefillah. I did see when I was uh, uh, also the Yerushalmi and Neofiti, like uh, oh. Targum Yonatan and Neofiti. They also translate it literally. Oh, Hazak, beautiful! I did see there was a. I, I there's a Yemenite sefer that goes through all the different mikorot, and uh, I, I was convinced from him that the uncle that I quoted was the correct one. 
but maybe I'm completely wrong and I didn't do enough research. I just kind of was somech on him. I did see there is a machlok in the girsa, and I don't know. I intuitively and knowing onkelos are reading it sometimes, you would think also that the way that uh, Vidat said that's a more correct way as well. But Hazak, thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, I have one question. Um, yeah. So it's two parts, really. And um, let's say the Haredi, uh, you know, they're not needed in the army. That's one argument I sometimes hear. Um, if they were needed, the army would be more vocal about it. Um, would you say that there's still a chiyuv to, to, to volunteer? If Right. I mean, you see from now, even today on the news, they're drafting, they're changing the draft laws. Uh, especially of the Chazer Yeshivot, and they're making them for even younger. You know, I forgot the age that it was to be drafted. Now they have to make it younger because of the situation right now. So, Eretz Israel and Medinat Israel, they never know what's going to pop up against them. And you see right now, you know, okay, Baruch Hashem right now, we're not getting attacked by other countries. But in a situation like that, you know, everybody needs to be trained. Everybody needs to be equipped. To everybody, mm-hmm. We need everybody on board when you're living in Israel. So just simply, I would think that you know, at least the ba- you you know you need the basic training. Basic training. We do need yeah. people on call and ready to be on call. Uh, a basic training, of course. With that, with that, you can't just be somech on the nisayon of just oh, you know what? Uh, I'll pick up a gun when I need to. No, you have to go. You know, my wife and I a couple weeks ago we went, we took uh, some gun classes and we learned how to shoot guns. I had no clue how to use a gun. You need to take classes. You need to take courses. Without that, you don't. You can't. You can't be somech on this. So I'm sure there's other good reasons as well. And even let's say they don't need, like we started. Avner said it's uh it's a mitzvah mehadrin to do it for sure. It's the biggest kiddush Hashem when you have religious people are the ones, the, the leaders of the nation. They're the ones that are, you know, being moser nefesh for the greater good of Am Yisrael in itself. Let's say if they didn't technically even need religious people. A question in the chat from Tal. Um... Rabbi, say about Involve civilians. How much should we inhibit military actions in order to prevent the innocents from losing their lives? So, if am I understanding correctly that what even regular citizens should be equipped as well, or how involved they should be in preparation for war? Is that the question? That's my understanding. Tal, are you able to yeah. clarify? Or... Yes. Sorry, um, my camera isn't working. That I'm asking more about the discussion about. Um, civilians on the other side, putting aside uh-huh. the question of whether we think they're innocent or not, if this is a milchemet mitzvah, um, then what, how does that factor in? Um, like, do we need to mi- minimize our uh, military actions to make sure and, and they don't die and how much? Right. I mean, that, that's another issue that... Uh... It's a very technical issue. I know Rabbanim that are saying not to serve in the army nowadays just because due to political reasons, we have to serve, we have to send in our troops, our brothers into Aza. And, and you know, we see already how many, more than 60 already have passed away already in Aza just because we don't want to, you know, let's say bomb them from up front and taking away other civilians, quote unquote. So that, it's a difficult question. Again, I just wanted to keep it on a high level of, you know, is there a mitzvah of going to the army or serving the army in, let's say, in in a hypothetical perfect environment? You know, is it is it just Torah that you need or do you need military service as well? 
Of course, there are a lot of different details and individual questions that will come up upon this. Uh, and it's, I think, beyond the scope of uh, what we're talking about. But it's a good question. Uh, have future Shirim on that. Yeah. Important questions. Yeah, yeah. It's a very important, very important question. Very important question. Yeah. Okay. Um, I will no, ask no. one last question. If no one does, I can take the prerogative. Um, this is a bit unfair because I think it's more of a political question as well. But, you know, for me, it's a very convincing case. And, and I... I wonder what can be done um, in terms of, uh, you know, it's very nice we say this among ourselves where many of us probably already believe that or we shared your, the same idea and, and we understand the importance of having everyone fighting in the army um, and doing their part. But in terms of the Haredi community, um, do you see any possibility of, of that changing and what can be done about that? and sort of changing that narrative and because it seems to be a very strong halachic position. Yeah. Um, it's a good question. I mean, we did see, we did see in the past couple of months, I think they said it was 2000 Haredim came to the army, which mm. is something that's uh, unheard of before. Um, and you definitely have a lot more Haredi people joining the army, people wearing, let's say the black velvet kippah in the army, whether they became Belteshuvah in the army or before that or whatever. Um, you know, it's interesting. I saw in the in the, the beginning, I brought the Rabbi Yanon Yonah, and he wants to say, he's like, every time that they try to draft the Haredim, terrible things happen to Am Yisrael. All these wars uh, that happen in the Lebanon, then he's saying, he's quoting everything. But obviously that's false. So he said this war, you know, especially the, the politics because the Haredi parties are definitely more in charge right now with Netanyahu. There was no draft on Bukhari Yeshiva at the moment, uh, as it was like they tried to do before. And nevertheless, this is the worst thing that happened since the, you know, the beginning. So one of the worst things. So, you know, that's, there. you can't bring a, what I'm trying to say is that sometimes you have to be, do reverse psychology. You can't fight them and they're going to realize it themselves. This is, this is what I think is going on right now. People are like, oh, wow. Okay. Things are, there's a lot more knowledge going on. People see the reality. <laughs> I think the entire Israel became like Kahanis now, <laughs> pretty much. They're very, things have changed. People's eyes are opening up and they're living the reality. Before, in the in the beginning of Medinat Yisrael, you know, there was no, even Haredim were waving the Israeli flags. They didn't have, in Ponovich, they were the Israeli flag. There wasn't, you had big Rabbanim going to the army as well. From, uh, you have Rav Haim David Alevi, go, I mean, of course, he's more of a Mizrahi type of Rav. But people didn't have this distinguish, this, this uh, you know, the different groups as they had before because they realized the real sakanat nefashot before them. For the past years, we've been more comfortable. Okay, every now and then, unfortunately, there's a little terrorist attack. A few people pass away, but nothing like what's happened nowadays. When people realize, like, oh wow, okay, it's not you know things aren't as smooth as I thought. Uh, even though maybe perhaps the yeshivot were learning just as good as it was, you know, they were last year, and still we had this type of uh, terrible casualty that came onto us. Okay, people are starting to open their eyes naturally. In short, I guess it's just, you know, hopefully just naturally, <laughs> without forcing it down their throat, uh, this will happen. Because any time it's just a knee-jerk reaction. When you say, nah, nah, bring mikorot, they're going to give back a thousand mikorot as well. And like I said, it's different perspectives. Can we, you know, in anything you talk about, I'm sure any member here in the Habura, when you talk about certain things with other people, you know, if you push it or you give delivered in a certain way, they're just going to fight back in another way. So, yeah, do I have the solution? I don't have, but hopefully just naturally. Things are just going to, you know, open open people's eyes and brains. 
appreciate that. Thank you mm-hmm. so, so much, Rabi. Um, yeah. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Uh, we look forward to having you next. Um, yeah. And just to let people know, we have the the journal, um, which is going to the printers now. So we're very excited for that. So keep tuned. Um, and for people who want to uh, contribute for future journals, uh, get in touch with myself, Sina, or any, any of Khabra um, staff or people you, you might be connected to. So thank you, everybody. Uh, wishing everyone a good day, Laila Tov, wherever you are. Uh, Rubi, thank you so much. Nah, no problem. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for listening. Yeah.